Want to get to a couple of these text messages. Um, this is a voice of experience. Uh, this individual says, I'm a retired teacher, and I think the school systems are doing the best they can. I believe that things would be better if parents were more involved uh, and worked with the teachers instead of just blaming them for everything. That's probably a great lead-in, and I'm sure she wouldn't add the the last part, blaming them for everything, but uh, parents working with, with teachers in the school system has been something I know she's advocated for a long time. North Dakota's head of the Department of Public Instruction, Kirsten Baser. Kirsten, good to have you back on News and Views. Joel, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on this morning. Really do appreciate it. Had a tough conversation last Friday. I don't know if you heard about it, if you could, uh, if you listened to it on the radio, but uh, your opponent in this race, Jason Heitkamp, came in and he was very critical of North Dakota's aptitude scores and how we were doing in terms of math, for example. Your thoughts? So, um, thanks. I appreciate it. I, it was, yes, it was all the buzz um, in my office. I have 82 great employees and um, work really closely with our school districts and advocate and support them in their work to do things. And so it was all the buzz. And then I did have an opportunity to listen to it uh, early Saturday morning on um, from the from your website. Um, if, if I can, um, if I can just, I, I want to address first and foremost our teachers are not to be beat up on this. This is this is that, that was absolutely, in my opinion, unacceptable. Our teachers are our neighbors. They are um, they teach our children. They go to church with us. They teach our children. They are they are the heroes in this work that we that, that we do. And so, I, I wanted to come on the show today to say that that was, in my opinion, as a state superintendent and someone at what is a candidate that wants to lead the state and be the state superintendent, wholly unacceptable to be taking off, taking after our teachers. Um, what he did is is not helping education. It's absolutely killing education. Uh, it's not the role of a superintendent, state superintendent, or a superintendent candidate to go on a public statewide radio show. And, and what I believe he intended to do is humiliate and publicly whip uh, our hardworking teachers. So if I can just actually, and, and furthermore, what he said was, absolutely false. Um, let's just start there. So if I can start with um, the, I, he had said he put up on his Facebook page, Kidder County. I didn't see it. I don't know if he's blocked me from his access or if he took that information down. But what he said, the claim that he made was that Kidder County in particular, that their high school had 0% students proficient. Well, let's just start there. That is absolutely false. There are only 14 students that took that test at Kidder County High School. And when we do that, when, when, we only, when we have a small sample size like that, and anybody that knows and has, has any intelligence at all knows that sample size matters as we're talking about scores and statistics. And what, it, what we do when we put that on our Insights dashboard is we put it in a range so students can't be identified. And so the range was, it said zero to 20% of the students were proficient in mathematics at Kidder County. Uh, Jason kept claiming 0%. It could have been 20%. He doesn't know that. But again, when we go back to the sample size uh, with only 14 students taking that test, again, anybody that knows uh, numbers and, and has worked with statistics knows that with a sample size of 14 in a small high school like Kidder County, those numbers swing widely. 
That is why we don't use the Insights dashboard and the information on that dashboard to make blatant claims, uh, you know, outrageous claims like that. We use that public information and we use that information. The schools use that information. The state uses that information as we look at trends. Um, if you look back years prior, Kidder County High School was above the state average, and sometimes they were below. Now, you know, I visited with Kidder County. I have visited that school. I've been in that school. I know their superintendent. I know their board members. I know their high school principal. And the, that principal is actually um, the elementary and the high school principal. So let's take a look at Kidder County's elementary scores. And in that case, it's K through 8. So kindergarten all the way up through 8th grade. Take a look at those scores. They are knocking it out of the park. They are well above state average. And so to make a blatant claim like that, and Kidder County has done exactly what we asked them to do, what all schools should do. They knew that their high school students were doing so well, so they made changes. But we know, all of us in education know that that starts young. So they have implemented models, interventions that are absolute at their elementary school, reduced the class sizes, and those gains are proving that those interventions work. We don't shame our school districts. We don't shame our teachers. It defeats those teachers that are in our classrooms. And so, again, that is one thing that I just absolutely want to have, to have that specific conversation about that specific school. And now, if I can just go on, Joel, I, I know that there's a lot to unpack here, but I want to talk in general how these, um, these, these opponents and some people in general in our in our state are weaponizing this public transparency of this dashboard. Oh, go, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. And so, thank you. I appreciate that. So, I was I, I I was in favor of this public dashboard, and some of our school districts were nervous about it. But I felt that our taxpayers deserve to know um, transparency in our schools, but not not to use this information to weaponize, but to actually use it to help the state and our school board members decide where they're doing well and what they need to keep supporting and where they're not doing so well and they need to invest more money and more time and more effort. And so as we talk about these cut scores, if you will, uh, I want to first explain that our North Dakota teachers decided with me and the, and the department leadership several years ago that we wanted high expectations for our, for our students. We, wanted, we knew that our students were smart. We knew that there was a life out there that was worthy of them being super prepared. And a, about 10 years ago, we looked at our graduation rates and we looked at what our students were able to do. And we didn't feel good about that. We felt that there was an honesty gap, that we were graduating students with you know, diplomas and they might not be quite ready. And so we decided to close that honesty gap, and we created the choice ready indicator, and we increased our scores. We increased what it takes to earn a proficient. Other states, they don't have as high a cut scores as we do, and so they might have 70, 80, 90 percent proficiency, but they're not going to do very well on the NAEP test, which, as you know, probably from your days in the Senate, the NAEP test is the test that every student in the, in the United States, all 50 states, take. So we have states out there that are saying, yeah, our kids are super proficient, you know, 90% proficiency in reading, but then they take the NAEP test and they are, you know, 45th 
46th on the list of states. North Dakota, in math and reading, we are always in the upper half. And in, actually, in reading, we are fifth in the nation. So when our teachers decided to set high expectations to earn that score of proficient, and they're doing the hard work to get more of our students to that proficiency, they should not be ridiculed for setting high expectations to earn proficiency, and they should not certainly be not be ridiculed for working hard every day to get them there. You know, that test that our kids take today is nothing like the test we took back in the day, Joel. Superintendent Baszler, when when I left the studio on Friday, it, it didn't, you know, in North Dakota, it takes about two seconds to find somebody's cell phone. And you and I both know that uh, cell phone number. Yeah. And, and I started getting calls uh, from across the state uh, from educators who were upset. And they were really upset. They, they were mad. Yeah. And, and they're these were administrators and they had one common theme, which was, look, not only are we doing a good job, but we're doing the best job we can. We can't recruit individuals in certain criteria that we need them. And and they talked about math. They talked about science. They talked about some of these different areas. And so to me, as I drove home that day, I was like, okay, he, he went too far. He, well, he didn't just go too far. You know that Jason and I, I keep putting this disclaimer out there, but we don't get along on any of these political issues. But, you know, is there something to the fact that we can't fill these positions, thus we can't reach the goals you just described? Oh, absolutely there is that. Absolutely there is that. I mean, I I had my student cabinet. I spent the entire day on Thursday with you know, 20 plus members of my student cabinet, they range in age from fourth grade all the way up to freshman in college. And we often talk about recruitment and retention of teachers. And I ask their advice. And I will say I have two individuals in that, in that, that, that group, that student cabinet group that are going to go into teaching. I'm thrilled about that. But what they have is that they are coming from a supportive community where their their call their high school experience their K twelve experience has been positive because the community is positive because their teachers are supported. I have a friend, a colleague that is a superintendent, and she says we start recruiting for teaching the day that they walk into kindergarten. If it's a place that their community wants them to go to and is positive about it, then they love going to school. But if they're going to an environment where their community, you know, saying it's terrible, you know, there's a terrible place to work, the teachers are terrible, why would any young person choose teaching? And when we do these types of things, when people, a, a candidate for the state superintendent that is there to support and find solutions uh, is going on air and beating up, and we have all of this conversation about how bad everything is, then, then that, that's not a very good recruitment or retention uh, technique. You know, that's the other thing that I'm super proud of. I told you this before. We have a small but mighty team at, at North at DPI. We don't sit around and talk about how bad things are and just bemoan, uh, you know, the fact that our students are, are, are struggling or they need more help. We actually go out and look for solutions. And if we don't, if we can't find solutions, we create them. You know, the, the text message that you received about families and, you know, parents being involved. Well, I, you know, I can tell you that we've heard that. And so we've supported family engagement grants. We have created a guidebook, a playbook for our schools to go out 
uh, to use with their community to get to encourage and nurture and cultivate more authentic family engagement so there's partnerships in a school. We hear about student behaviors all the time. So we go out, we find partners, and we've partnered with a, 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 a program out of Minnesota that has been wildly successful on uh, the U.S. Department of Education's IES studies called Building Assets, Reducing Risk. Teachers that are involved in that program are amazingly surprised at the turnaround in their relationship. We have teacher burnout. What do we do? We go out and find a solution for uh, the teacher burnout, and we're partnering with Vital Network. We, uh, the legislature supported some funding, so our this, this program, these people can come into our schools. We've got over 60% of our teachers engaged in that work because their superintendents and principals have said, this is good. We've got to help our teachers from burning out. The, re the recruitment problem, uh, Assistant Superintendent Lori Matsky been working her tail off to be uh, uh, to, to build up the teacher apprenticeship program, and so now we can have teachers. We've got over we'll have over 700 new teachers licensed in the next three years uh, because they're getting paid as they learn as uh, um, as uh, teacher paraprofessionals, and they're earning their college degree, and and will get their teacher license. It's about finding solutions, not just talking about the problem. And I could go on and on. We know that principals. You know, people don't quit their they don't they don't quit their job. They quit their their leader. So we knew that principal leadership and supporting our principals. So we became the first state in the nation to apply to the U.S. Department of Labor to allow our principal occupation to be a principal, so we can give our principals more support, so they in turn can go back to their buildings and give their teachers some more support. I could just go on and on. It's about finding solutions or creating solutions, not just beating up on our teachers. The head of North Dakota's Department of Public Instruction, uh, Kirsten Baszler. Hang with us, Superintendent Baszler. It's not often, Abby, I get to tell the superintendent she has to wait. Right, right. right. They, they tell me Very all good. the time. So, <laughs> stick around. More coming your way right here on News and Views. She's head of the North Dakota Department of Public Instruction, Kirsten Baszler. She was challenged last week on Friday on this very program uh, from her opponent, Jason Heitkamp. Uh, today, she's countering some of that. We're talking about public education, the job it's doing, and whether or not it's meeting the standards and the criteria that it sets for itself. Uh, Ms. Baszler, I have to ask you this. If you could if you could go in and fix one thing, one thing right now in public education, what would it be? Giving our teachers the time that they need to deeply teach our students the skills and knowledge. Um, there's a lot that is on the plates of teachers right now. And I would give them the time that they needed. There, you know, the COVID interruption was a real thing. We weren't out of school. Uh, out of our buildings as, as long as other states were, but there's no denying that there um, was a disruption uh, in, in our world. And so that took its toll on both our teachers and our students. And even before the pandemic hit, we were requiring our teachers to move students through different instruction and different learning. And what we need to do is back up and understand that learning should be the constant, not the time. We should be giving our students, our teachers, the ability to deeply teach and not just pass on. If they, if they're only partially proficient, 
and and I'm going to tell we're getting back to the cut scores. I'm going to tell you, getting a partially proficient on a math or reading score is harder than it was back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s when most of your listeners were going to school. But getting them partially proficient isn't enough. I wish that we would give our teachers time to go back and solidify and reteach. That's happening in some of our schools. Some of our schools are doing the competency proficiency-based learning that is necessary to actually teach our kids and not just memorize and do well on a test and then forget it, but to deeply teach. I would also, um, as it relates to this topic, I would also change the fact that our state, our nation needs to understand that these teachers have skills that many, many employers want. They're highly employable, and we need to understand that they are professionals that are highly sought after, and they should be treated like the professionals that they are. And so those those are the two things that I would change. Okay. There's a, an interesting question here, but um, if I ask you this, you're not going to have time to answer it the way you want. So can you hang with okay. us for a little bit after the top of the hour here? Yes, I sure can. Okay. Is there anything, ladies and gentlemen, more important than the education of our children? That's what we're talking about today. That's what we talked about Friday. You're hearing from two candidates for the Department of Public Public Instruction. Uh, we're talking all about a lot about what we could do, how we could make it better, uh, what's right and what's wrong. And I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I I will say again, I think that the public education system in my home state is one that we have enjoyed for years. And I think they do a very, very good job. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Ms. Basler about that a little bit more. We've got a, a situation from, from Fargo to Watford City. It's a lot of difference between this two-home family. And somebody wants a question of Ms. Basler about it. So stick around. More coming your way. Welcome back to the News and Views, our radio network. Uh, Kirsten Baszler is our guest. She's head of the North Dakota Department of Public Instruction. Uh, I wanted to read this one to her, this text message, into our uh, Adventure RV text club. It says, I talked to Kirsten's office a couple years ago regarding my daughter uh, who goes to school in Fargo and is told here that she should be an extended school year. Uh, her mother lives in Watford City, who will not take her for extended school year, even though she goes to her mom's every summer. I was told that is a legislative issue. Can you ask her if she plans to try to push this issue? There are a lot of kids who come from two-family homes who may be with another parent during summer months. Kirsten? Well, that's uh, thank you for that question, and, and that's a tough one. And I think it's a great example of what our local school leaders and educators deal with. There's, you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of situations where our children are in that position where they are being parented, you know, in sometimes different states, not only in different parts of the state. And so, yes, the the uh, caller or the text messenger is exactly right. Um, Article uh, five of our constitution clearly states that the superintendent of public instruction only has the authority given to him or her that is explicitly provided uh, by the North Dakota legislature. So what we say at the Capitol is the the legislature 
uh, passes the laws and then hands them over to the agencies to implement the laws. And so um, working, we have a great partnership with HHS. I want to directly cut to the question and not avoid the question. That will be, you know, a question that as we as we convene again, as the legislature convenes in 2025, is how do we best support those um, those those blended families, those those separated families uh, that are educating, they're attempting to do what's best for our children. There's lots involved there. There's the court system that has the um, the custody agreement. There's the health, health and human services, making sure that the child is getting the support that they need, and the education system that is all engaged in this. And so working closely with uh, John Nelson, Judy Lee, who is a former colleague of yours, Robin Weiss and HHS, and of course, uh, Pat Heinert, Cindy Schreiber back on the Education Committee. Those legislators come together with the agency leaders to actually address specific examples like that. Um, what I do know is that there's lots of volunteer, there's lots of after-school programs. We've expanded our summer school programming in the state a great deal. We've expanded the state support for that and the federal support for that. So the programs are there, but I think in this situation, it really is a, a personal situation, a family situation that we're going to have to work with. And that's why local leadership is so important, and our local school districts um, are working hard to to navigate those those different particular situations for families. Okay, I want to get Mitch on with you. Uh, Mitch, you're on with Superintendent Basler. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so the question kind of was, you know, how do we get more teaching time or, or, or get the kids better? And COVID or no COVID, throw that era out. And, and again, you know, I'm married to a third grade educator teacher here. And, uh, you know, a lot of what I hear is we don't get time in the classroom to teach the kids and prepare in that because they have these meetings and things that get set up. And, I mean, their structure, I get that. But they're spending more time at these meetings and the districts have went to the strategists who are bringing extra stuff, which just teach the kids. And that and that's how. So when is either the state or local level going to figure that out? They let the teachers have classroom time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Appreciate the call, uh, Kirsten. Thank you, Mitch, and, and thank your wife for for being that third grade. I taught third grade for uh, a couple of years, and it's uh, it's it's a fun group to teach, but there's a lot of work. They're responsible for a lot of things. So thank you to your wife. I think he 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 reiterated what I said: give our teachers time to actually do the deep learning that is necessary. I you know there's a funding school funding task force that is convening during this interim, and I do think that we have to look at providing our teachers the time that they need. And it goes back to what I said. These these teachers have skills that employers want, and they are professional. And we need to treat them like professionals, but we also need to create a calendar and pay them for professionals. What we're asking them to do, bottom line, the classroom is much different um, than it did even 12 years ago when, when I came into this position and left the classroom as an educator. We just heard you know, a specific example of the text message question just prior to this. There's lots of complexity that are coming into that's coming into our classrooms, and simply using a nine-month school year or 174 days or 175 days, and expecting our teachers to pack all of the learning that they need to do themselves as adult professionals, all of the preparation that they need to do to create great lesson plans, and then actually do the teaching, the execution of the teaching. I, I don't think that we can pack that into 174 days or even 180 days. We really do need to look at funding schools differently and actually 
paying our professional teachers as the professionals they are and creating a contract that is is conducive to that. So again, there's a meeting. Superintendent Baszler text message comes in and says, good morning, Joel. My daughter has speech problems uh, and her school does not have the resources to work with her. So I have to take her into town twice a week uh, to speech therapist, to a speech therapist, which costs me $135 for a 30-minute appointment. Um, you're, and the individual goes on to say this is in Williston. So my question is, do they really not have the resources or uh, do they just not want to take uh, the time? That's a really good question. Again, I'm gonna. This is about finding solutions, right? We hear about these problems, and it's not about just complaining. So we go and find the solutions. Working with another senator from your area, Senator Kyle Davison, who during his day job is a regional educa- education association director for the southeast area of the state. He is seeing that there is Medicaid dollars being left on the table that some of these kids could use. And the fact of the matter is we don't have a lot of speech language therapists, SLPs. My son is actually a speech language pathologist and in, in, uh, licensed in North Dakota as well. There's not enough of them. So we don't want to be hiring those speech language therapists away from um, the clinics and or the hospitals that they work at. But we do need to have a do a better job of partnering with our professionals, our medical professionals, bringing them into our school districts and allowing them to use that school time. Uh, I'm gonna. This this isn't an answer that you know that this individual is likely going to to prefer or like. But uh, we see some school districts having really good relationships, and those therapists come in from outside clinics all day, every day, uh, in and out of their school districts. Some school districts don't have local school board policy that allows that. So again, I would I would encourage every listener out there that is having those specific things. We really value local control in North Dakota, and I believe in local control. Those decisions are being made best by the people closest to to those children living in those communities. But again, those are local school board policies, and I would really encourage. And when we go to our school boards, remember that they are the people that we go to church with. They are the the people that are you know uh, teaching our kids in Sunday school as well, and we are going to basketball games. Make sure that you approach those conversations with positive intent. You know, seek to be to, to understand. My dad always said that. You know, seek to understand and remember that the school and our parents, our families, want what's best for that child. Our families really okay. do want what's best. Individual says, "I taught uh, special classes when I retired. I substituted uh, in the elementary. Trust me, no one works harder than elementary teachers." After I subbed that week, I decided they need to be paid more than others, LOL. <laughs> that's, you know, little people are learning how to be adults. You know, we that's what school is about. And that's what just, school is the first time ever. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, a, a, an American tradition that that's the first time that they learn how to be part of a bigger group. They are, you know, growing up zero to five and they're at home. They're with brothers and sisters, maybe grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles on the farm or in, in, the, in the community. And when they enter kindergarten, it's the first time that they have to become part of a larger group, except maybe Sunday school. But that's just one day a week. They're, they're, they're little people and they're not fully developed. And the, the front part of our brain actually doesn't even fully develop until we're 25 now. 
And so uh, we just have to remember that that's why it's so important to have these good teachers in our classrooms. They understand that they are helping. They're growing young people. They're they're helping grow young people. I want to share this with you rather than read it when you're off. He says, yeah, I saw her dance around the extended school year issue. All she said uh, was we got great working people working on it. But the fact is there are a lot of families that are too family homes nowadays, it's not the 1950s. And if those families live out of a separate school district and they need extended school year in North Dakota, it has nothing for them. Well, that's not true. The majority of our school districts absolutely have extended school year. Back in the day, we used to call that summer school. Absolutely. I I would say, yep, absolutely. I mean, there is the opportunity for extended summer school and extended learning opportunities in Western North Dakota and in Eastern North Dakota. And we have plenty of programs. We actually do have uh, out of school time programs in all communities in our state. So the, if the family chooses and can agree that extended school year happens, then absolutely the, the, the programs are there for those families to take advantage of. Okay. Superintendent Baszler, good conversation. One we need to have more often. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I also appreciate you sticking up for public education. I think it's doing a great uh-huh. job and, and it's good to know that there's positive out there that people are willing to say. So thanks for coming on. I, I appreciate that too. We're not perfect, but I had three boys that I raised. And as you said before break, this is it. We have a great public education system. We can get better as anybody can. I raised my three kids in it. Super happy. Not everything was perfect. I have two granddaughters in Dickinson. I'm going to be so proud when they start kindergarten in that public school system. Happy to have this live in the state and raise my kids and grandkids. You bet. Thank you.